news to you I'll tell Of how the good old Union has come in here to dwell Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son And I'll stick with the Union till every battle's won Which side are you on? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Oh, workers, can you stand it? Oh, tell me how you can. Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Don't scab for the bosses. Don't listen to their lies. Us poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize. Which side are you on? 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 And just because he's human, a man would like a little bite to eat. He won't get full on a lot of talk that would give him bread and meat. Don't let Justin Freakin'. Now, if that shit doesn't get you hyped, you ain't a real leftist. Welcome! Good evening! It's a freaking Labor Day! And it's the Troll Patrol! Live! Clinically! Resonate! Chainsaw! Good evening! Got a fantastic show, all labor centric tonight, for this Labor Day stream. Hope everyone's had a good one. If you've, uh, whether you went out and participated in some labor action or perhaps you, uh, did a barbecue in the backyard, 
however you choose to spend your Labor Day. We're going to hear from the president of the UAW here in a little bit. He was at an event in Detroit. Meanwhile, Joe Biden was at an event in Philadelphia. Joe Biden apparently answering a question from reporters that he doesn't feel that the UAW is going to strike. And the president of the UAW scoffed at Joe Biden, scoffing at the idea of the UAW striking. These nuts. Fuck Joe Biden indeed. I did a I did a video and put it up on the YouTube and the TikTok. Uh, the it's the it's the clip from last night about the uh, Gold Star families. I kind of thought that I would I would get a whole bunch of right wingers uh, watching it because of the way that I worded the title and shit. Instead, I I appear to have got a bunch of neo libs. <laughs> I got a bunch of pro Joe Biden people watching it. And I don't think that was I don't think that was the tone of the clip either. Uh, Joe Biden absolutely voted for the war in Afghanistan, voted for continuing resolutions to give uh, George W. Bush a blank check. Joe Biden is culpable in that shit just as much. Well, I don't, not just as much. The Bush administration lied us into war. There's plenty of blame to go around. <laughs> but I, I wasn't expecting the neo-libs to show up. Come on, man. Not high enough for this shit. Your meme of the day. Uh, I don't know if I showed this one the other day, but it's perfect for Labor Day. My pity daydreaming about mauling that ginger who bitches about fudge rounds. That pity wants to maul somebody, wants to eat the face off a baby, maybe two babies. Here's the, like, I fucking love the pity eats baby memes. I think they're hilarious, but there are people that actually are scared of pities. So, like, pities are just loving little babies. Baby face is the best face. Um, uh, it's, it's tender. It's tender indeed. Um... Oh, God damn. I'm not high enough for this shit. The one, the one thing that I feel sorry about that I have on the list for the show tonight is I'm going to make you watch Bill Moore. I apologize. We're gonna, we're gonna dunk on Bill Moore like that's that's in the bullshit part of the show where usually we'd watch a right winger or two and we would bitch about what they're doing tonight we're gonna we're gonna bitch about Bill Moore that's that's just, I got somebody somebody already left uh, I mentioned Bill Moore and somebody's like well fuck this I'm not staying for that shit I don't blame you. Here's another thing. Okay, so apparently at some point in time, I made a 
opening for September 11th, and it has planes flying into the Troll Patrol logo and exploding, which I think is amazing. But I don't have I don't have the video of that. All I have is like the the graphic that I made. So like I'm gonna have to make a whole new opening, I guess, for September 11th if I'm going to utilize this graphic that I made of planes flying into the the Troll Patrol logo and exploding. I clinically forgot. That was like our entire purpose as a generation was to never forget. And clinically fucking forgot. My God, how much pot have you been smoking? But usually when I've made an intro, like I can find the actual intro after it was made. I ha- apparently I've used the same Halloween for the last couple of uh, years. And I'm like, do I want to, do I want to, I-, I like it, do I want to spice it up a little bit? A half a day, god damn. I'm not even that bad, shit. Half will last me about a week. Half a day over here, god damn. Putting me to shame. I got I got bumped those numbers up. Huh, huh, huh. I love Wolf of Wall Street. I love that fucking movie. Uh, let's just jump into it, shall we? Like I've I've got labor. It's all labor. No use in me running it down on what we're gonna talk about. It's all labor tonight. Starting off tonight with a little little history lesson. This is, this is from the U.S. Department of Labor, so it's going to be comprehensive, but it's probably going to leave out a lot of the bloody stuff. Just know that in the history of labor in this country, there's been a lot of, a lot of bloodshed. There's been a lot of uh, uh, protests and strikes that have uh, turned bloody, but usually by the cops beating workers up. Even the National Guard's been called in on more than a few occasions here in this goddamn country. But let's 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 watch a bit of a desensitized version of the labor history. Labor Day is a day for honoring America's workers and celebrating their contributions to everything we cherish about our country. The holiday is rooted in the vibrant labor movement of the late 19th century. I mean, just to be honest, um shouldn't every day be Labor Day because you know the labor theory of value when labor activists pushed for a federal holiday to recognize how ordinary workers from coast to coast built America's strength, prosperity, and well-being. See, already we're getting a bit of a uh, a whitewashed version of history. It was more Grover Cleveland trying to appease labor activists is the reason why this became a holiday. It's more like a it was like a pizza party that they would throw you at a company. In the beginning. Labor activists called for wider recognition with parades, picnics, and speeches. The first recorded celebration of this kind took place on September 5, 1882, in New York City. The Central Labor Union organized a day of street parades, picnics, and parties 
to exhibit the strength and camaraderie of the trade and labor organizations in the community. Thousands marched from City Hall all the way to 42nd Street. The practice spread quickly across the nation. In 1887, only five years later, Oregon became the first U.S. state to make Labor Day an official public holiday. By 1894, 30 states were officially celebrating Labor Day. Congress acted to make Labor Day a federal holiday to be celebrated the first Monday in September. And on June 28, 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed the bill into law. Though the law only made Labor Day an official holiday for federal workers, over time, the holiday spread to all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and U.S. territories. And it now applies to all state and local government employees. Private employers generally recognize the day as a holiday, too. Working people are the backbone of our country and keep our economy moving. It's the U.S. Department of Labor's great privilege to carry on the spirit of those 19th century laborers who created Labor Day by celebrating and lifting up the contributions and importance of America's workers. For more information, visit dol.gov slash Labor Day. I mean, uh, left out a whole bunch of shit. The Ludlow Massacre, the Battle for Blair Mountain, the Harlan County Mine Strike. A whole bunch of shit out of the history of and the upheaval that workers have faced. I always recommend the movie Mate One. That's like literally the history of my fucking family. James Earl Jones is, is like brought in to be a scab because he's a black man and shit during the Mate One mine strike. Wow, clinically, zero of the jobs you've worked have, have recognized Labor Day shit. Danielle, good evening. Happy Labor Day to you. We're decked out. We're going to talk about labor action all night long. One of the things that I really want to point out, something to celebrate this Labor Day, is the fact that union membership is at, uh, increasing across the board. Labor unions see an increase in overall membership numbers. Hell yeah. But Labor Day is more than just a long weekend or the unofficial end of summer. Good afternoon. I'm Delaney Tarpley. Thank you for joining us. Labor Day has a long history of hard-fought battles for better pay and working conditions. Fuzzy! Ben Schmidt has more on what's happening to labor union numbers. I think, I think she did a better job uh, recognizing the upheaval than the Department of Labor did in the little piece that we watched. Members ...across the country and right here in Missouri. The percentage of labor union members has seen a slight increase statewide, even though Missouri is not a right-to-work state. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the numbers of union members rose from 9 to 9.6 percent last year. Labor unions have been a long-standing part of the United States, fighting for better pay and better conditions for its workers. I think what really happens with the union, which I really think we're seeing here today, is that we have workers that are invested in the work that they do, and they want to have a voice in making things better for themselves and for their colleagues and for the business as well. But participation and membership had been declining, at least until last year, when the total number of workers in labor unions increased by 1.9 percent, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I mean, as we go into Labor Day, it's about securing labor and making sure that we have a safe workforce, a happy workforce, so that we can just have a better 
overall economy. Labor unions can be seen on a national level with the actor strikes in Hollywood or here in Columbia with the LIUNA Local 955 helping the city of Columbia workers secure better pay over the summer. As long as, you know, there's a couple people working, I think there's going to be a working next to each other and someone else telling them what to do, I think there's going to be a place for labor unions in this country. A movement that goes back more than 100 years. A group of workers coming and pooling their resources together um, to get the best deal for their community, to get the best deal for uh, their families and themselves. Overall, there were 273,000 more full-time workers in the U.S. that joined labor unions last year than in 2021. In the studio, Ben Schmidt, KMU8 News. Thank you, Ben. And that's the story in states across the country. They're they're up just slightly, but I mean, this is after years of decline. So the tick up is a welcome sign. Bernie Sanders penned an op-ed uh, that ran in multiple places. We're going to read from the Guardian. It's not utopian thinking to imagine that for the first time in world history, everyone could have a decent standard of living. No, it's not utopian thinking. As we celebrate Labor Day 2023, let's take a quick look at the economy over the last few years. Never before in American history have so few owned so much and has there been so much uh, income and wealth inequality. Never before in American history has there been such concentration of ownership in our economy with a handful of giant corporations controlling sector after sector, enjoying record-breaking profits. Never before in American history have we seen a ruling class utilizing a corrupt political system exercise so much political power through their super PACs and ownership of media. And never before in American history have we seen the level of greed arrogance and irresponsibility that we see today as part of the one percent corporate greed is rampant meanwhile as the billionaire class becomes richer and more powerful over 60 percent of americans live paycheck to paycheck and many work for starvation wages and under terrible working conditions. Incredibly, despite huge increases in worker productivity and an explosion in technology, the average American worker is making over $45 a week less today than he did, than he or she did 50 years ago after adjusting for inflation. Today in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, Tens of millions struggle to put food on the table, found, find affordable housing, affordable health care, affordable prescription drugs, affordable child care, and affordable educational opportunities. In our country today, we have the highest rate of childhood poverty of almost any major nation, and half of older workers have no savings as they face retirement. And in the midst of of this massive inequality, the United States and the world face enormous economic transformation as a result of artificial intelligence, robotics, and other new technologies. There is no question but that many of the jobs being done today will not be here in 10 or 20 years. Let's be clear. 
These technologies, which will greatly increase worker productivity, have the potential to be extraordinarily beneficial for humanity or could cause devastating pain and dislocation for tens of millions of workers. The question is who makes the decisions as to what happens in this radically changing economy and who benefits from those decisions. Do we allow the market to throw working people out in the streets because they are redundant? Or do we take advantage of the increased productivity this technology creates to improve the lives of all? Throughout the history of humanity, the vast majority of people have had to struggle to feed themselves, find adequate shelter, and eke out a living. The good news is that the revolutionary new technology, if used to benefit all of humanity and not just the rich and powerful, could usher in a new era in human development. It is not utopian thinking to imagine that, for the first time in world history, we could enter a time in which every man, woman, and child has a decent standard of living and improved quality of life. In the United States, for example, the 40-hour work week under the Fair Labor Standards Act has been the legal definition of full-time work since 1940. Well, the world and technology have undergone enormous changes since 1940, and American workers are now 480% more productive than they were back then. It's time for those standards to reflect contemporary reality. It's time for a 32-hour work week with no loss in pay. It's time that working families were able to take advantage of the increased productivity that new technologies provide so that they can enjoy more leisure time, family time, educational and cultural opportunities, and less stress. Moving to a 32-hour work week with no loss of pay is not a radical idea. In fact, movement in that direction is already taking place in other developed countries. France, the seventh largest economy in the world, has a 35-hour work week and is considering reducing it to 32. The work week in Norway and Denmark is about 37 hours a week. Recently, the United Kingdom conducted a four-day work week pilot program of 3,000 workers at over 60 companies. Not surprisingly, it showed that happy workers were more productive. The pilot was so successful that 92% of the companies that participated decided to maintain a four-day work week because of the benefits to both employers and employees. Another pilot of nearly 1,000 workers at 33 companies in seven countries found that revenue increased by more than 37% in the companies that participated and 97% of the workers were happy with the four-day work week. Needless to say, changes that benefit the working class of our country are not going to be easily handed over by the corporate elite. They have to be fought for and won. And in that regard, there has been some very good news over the last several years. We are now seeing workers stand up and fight for justice in a way that we have not seen in decades. In America, more workers want to join unions. More workers are joining unions. 273,000 last year alone. And more workers are going out on strike for decent wages and benefits and winning. We're seeing that increased militancy all across our economy with truck drivers, auto workers, riders, actors, warehouse workers, healthcare professionals, graduate student teachers, and uh, baristas. Let's continue that struggle. 
Let's think big, not small. Let's create an economy and government that work for all, not just the few. Happy Labor Day. That was Bernie Sanders. That was an op-ed penned by Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. And as always, Bernie's fucking right. Of course, we should all be working less. Of course, it's fucking obvious. Do I do I really need to pull up a story that says, of course, we should be working less? Of course, we should all be working less. America's pro-work culture is destroying our health and well-being. Bernie is right to point out that there is no law of the universe that says we must work five days a week, eight hours a day for 40 hours, what's otherwise known as full-time. Those numbers are a result of labor struggles in which workers fought for much longer work days to be scaled back. But we also know that working so much just isn't all that pleasant. God damn right. Well, some of us may like our jobs. I enjoy my, my work as a video editor. I really don't want to do it, though. The fact is that there are... I, I, I want to edit fucking Troll Patrol shit. The fact is that there are many good reasons to work less, even at the least torturous of jobs. Ample leisure is an important human right. As Bernie added in a separate tweet today, we can reduce the stress level in our country and allow Americans to enjoy a better quality of life by reducing the work week. There's a lot about work in our society that is undesirable and harmful. In the first place, the fact that we have have to earn a wage in order to have our basic human needs met. Housing, food, water, electricity, transportation, education. It's coercive. Because we as a society choose not to provide the basics for everyone, all of us who are not independently wealthy must work or starve or attach ourselves to someone else who works to earn a wage. Because work is made into a thing which makes us deserving of survival, we demonize those who cannot or simply don't work outside the home or people that really... I know people that are incredibly talented but don't really fit into the system, can't be monetized, Uh, they have mental health struggles, and have a hard time fitting into a capitalistic system, and we penalize them. It's bullshit. Joe Biden out here touting his uh, his record, which he should. He should going into election year, but also it's woefully inadequate for what is needed for the moment. Out here bragging about his 13.5 million jobs he's created, but I mean, are they paying well, sir? Do they provide health care? Ah, oh, man, where's the dude that threw the shoe at George W. Bush? America's support for union is higher today than any time in nearly 60 years. And I'm continuing to call on Congress to fully and finally pass the Protect the Right to Organize, the PRO Act, which makes it easier to... It really has nothing to do with Biden. 
playing unfair trying to prevent organization. No, the bill's named after one of the greatest leaders in labor I've ever worked with, Rich Trumpka. And guess what? We're going to get it passed, come hell or high water. And folks, my plan for the country is to make the economy work for people like you, because when it works for people like you, it works for everybody. Like I said, in my first two years, I've created nearly 13.5 million jobs. More exactly, Daniel. That pisses me the fuck off that we treat people that just like have a hard time participating in our fucking weird ass fucking economy we've got. It's like there are so many people with, and that let me let me bring up another fact that really pisses me off as as we're here on Labor, uh, Labor Day. People with disabilities can legally be paid less. Can legally be paid less. Uh, good uh, good year. Uh, goodwill. Goodwill is a a fucking evil corporation for taking advantage of people with disabilities and then doing propaganda, trotting out you know uh, people that are happy with their job to be like, oh, well, I love it here at Goodwill. They provide me you know a job, blah blah blah. But like they're using that as propaganda when like. If you're doing a job, you should be paid a living wage, not just the minimum wage, a fucking living wage. I don't if you have a dis that's insulting to somebody that has a disability to pay them less than a fucking minimum wage. My god. And we as a society stand for that shit? What the fuck? Simp, Simp, good evening. I am, I'm worked up. It's not Joe in specific. This was Joe during his Labor Day remarks in Philadelphia. We're going to get into what Joe did and what the UAW president has to say back to him here in just a second. In two years, the any president has created in a four-year term. More. 800,000 new manufacturing jobs. Where is it written? Where is it written? that America will not lead the world to manufacturing. I don't see it written anywhere because we are leading the world. <laughs> Unemployment has been below 4% for the longest stretch in 50 years. We've recovered all the jobs lost during the pandemic. We've added millions more. People are coming off the sidelines to go to work. More than 700,000 people joined the labor force last month which means higher share of baby girl teenage Americans are now in the workforce than any time in the last 20 years. Job satisfaction is higher than it's been in 36 years. While unemployment is down, inflation is down as well. Remember, the experts said to get inflation down, we need to do spend the, the mantra of economists for a long time. You need to get inflation under control. You need to lower wages. You need higher unemployment. Not on my watch. That's right. The answer was to lay people off and pay them less. But I never thought the problem was too many people working or working people making too much money. I've never seen that problem. We have to do more to put inflation down, but it's down around 3%, about one-third of what it was a year ago. That's near the lowest point in two years, and wages are going faster than inflation. Folks, this just didn't happen. Together we made it happen. Decades of can you imagine what we what we could do if we had an actual leftist? Without making the investments in America and the American people, that had been a bust. 
It's all done. Was all done to hollow out the middle class, blow up the deficit, Richard, good evening. overseas, strip the dignity and pride and hope out of a community one after another as they shut down the factory and send it overseas because labor was cheaper and we imported a more expensive product. Well, guess what? I'm pretty sure you saw in your home what I saw in mine. Not a whole lot of trickle down ended up in my dad's kitchen table as he busted his neck. So we're changing that. Replacing trickle-down economics with everyone on Wall Street is referring these days to Bidenomics. And guess what? It's working. It's about building the economy in the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. Because I'm not, this is not a political statement. This is an economic statement. When the middle class does well, everyone does well. <laughs> I'm a capitalist. The poor do well, and guess what? You can still be a millionaire or billionaire, except one thing. Goddamn. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. This is the very definition of a shit lib. Blueprint for America. It's for you. For example, last week we announced a new proposal, a new rule that would extend overtime pay to as many as 3,600,000 workers. Now it's about 35 grand or 36 grand before you can after that you don't get overtime well now it's 53 grand man and guess what he's got a whole lot of people working as executive assistants working a hell of a lot more than 40 hours and not getting paid overtime now you're going to get paid overtime it is a positive change for a lot of families we did something else that matters a whole lot to folks in this parking lot that we passed the bush lewis act which protected pensions from millions of union workers. This is one of the most significant achievements for union workers and retirees in over 50 years. And for the folks at home who don't know why it matters, let me explain. Two to three million union workers, through no fault of their own, after paying into their pension for years, faced painful cuts in benefits they were counting on in retirement. Why? They're going to left high and dry. Well, companies they work for didn't hold up their end of the bargain. This corporation sucks. Their end of the bargain. We just couldn't let that happen. And I might add, we got to pass and not a single solitary Republican vote. Not one voted to sustain these pensions. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Their whole lives. No, I mean, I'm th think about it, though. Why in the hell would they do that? Can you imagine if it was reversed? Why in the hell do you keep calling them your friends and shit and saying that you wish... Mitch McConnell is speedy recovery. He's going to be back to being the old Mitch again. Goddamn Biden. You, you're like, oh, not a single Republican would vote for just that measly little little uh, benefit to protect seniors' uh, retirement pensions. And, and you're still calling them your friend and shit. They attack you constantly. If you... If you would actually go dart Biden on him, people would like you a lot more, Joe. But apparently one of the things that Joe Biden was asked about was the possibility of a UAW strike. And Biden was like, I don't think they're going to strike. Biden says he doesn't think they're going to strike. He's almost daring them to strike. Come on, man. I'm shocked by that reaction. Uh, you know, he must know something we don't know, but... Uh, um, uh, Maybe the company's plan on walking in and, and uh, giving us our demands uh, on the night before. I don't know, but uh, uh, he's on the inside on something I don't know about. Because uh, where we stand, it's, you know, 
and I want to be clear about this, that's not our intent. Our intent is not to strike. Our intent is to get a fair agreement. And um, that's been our intent from day one. But, uh, you know, as we get down to the wire here, there's three companies to bargain with, and there's 10 days left to do it. So uh, I, I know what it looks like to me. Is there if additional you, support you'd like to see from the self-described most pro-union president in history? Um, you know, actions speak louder than words. I mean, we want to see actions. So, uh, you know, and they've, you know, I'm not going to, in fairness, they've done a few things here recently with the IRA and the convention, or, uh, uh, conversion loans, things like that. So, you know, they're taking steps. So, uh, but, you know, there's a lot more work to do. Exactly right. You want to, you want to give them their due, but like, it's incredibly inadequate. So this was the UAW president. I fucking I forget what his name is. We're gonna to listen to a speech here in just a second. He gave a speech in Detroit today. But before we do that, we're going to watch Bloomberg, Bloomberg TV. Keep that in mind. Uh, they're going to describe the uh, UAW demands to us. Tones. Good evening. Happy Labor Day. So remember, this is Bloomberg TV. Describing the UAW demands, and then we're going to hear from the president of the UAW. There should be a circumstance where the jobs that are being displaced are replaced with new jobs. They should go to the first choice, should go to the UAW member who had the job, and the salary should be commensurate. President Biden's speaking to reporters going into the weekend looking for a deal between the United Auto Workers Union and Detroit's Big Three. Difference when did Moby get hired to be on Bloomberg? Raising concerns about a potential strike when the current contract expires next month. Senator Bernie Sanders weighing in on CNN. I very strongly support the UAW and their new leadership standing up and fighting back. And I certainly hope there is not going to be a strike. I like this president. No one wants a strike. But the big three have got to understand they cannot have it all. They can't make huge profits, give exorbitant uh, compensation packages to their CEOs and ignore the needs of workers. Team coverage starts right now. Kelly Lyons in New York. David Welch in Detroit. David, the Tom Keen question I think is the right question. Are we going to get that strike? I think there's a very good chance we will with at least one of the companies, whether or not they go out on all three remains to be seen. Usually they, they, they pick a company and they try to cut a deal with them that will set a pattern for the other two. We're not sure if Sean Fein will do that, but... Sean Fein, that's his name. He goes on strike with one of them to set the tone that the union's very serious about the demands they've made. He himself called those demands audacious. David, talk to me about those demands, how realistic some of them are. 32-hour work week, 46% raise, traditional pensions returning. How realistic are these asks? Right. So, so look, before he made that list of demands, Sean Fain and, and the vice presidents had a series of Facebook uh, live chats where they talked about their priorities, which were better pay, getting uh, entry-level workers and temps better pay for them, getting them closer to the $32 an hour top wage, making sure... There you go. That all, that all looks reasonable to me. Inflation protection, job security for workers who make engines and transmissions, those kinds of things. They didn't mention back then 32-hour work weeks or uh, pensions. That sort of came after Sean Fain started talking to his members. So I think the very realistic demands are that first set, mostly about pay, taking care of younger workers, getting a, a better compensation package for temporary employees, maybe making them permanent, uh, and, and workers at battery plants, and you know, trying to secure the future of electric vehicle employees 
activities from here on out. Uh, you know, 32-hour work week, I, I don't see it happening. It, it seems like something that kind of was thrown in at the last minute. And the auto companies will fight very hard not to get back to a defined benefit pension plan. Uh, most new, new hires now or It is not unreasonable. And we are, seeing the, we are seeing the push. That's why we saw the Bernie Sanders op-ed that was all over the different tabloids today. So, like, this is the push for the 32-hour work week here in this country. And I'm here for it. Like, fuck you, Bloomberg analyst. 401k, like most people have these days. Those, you know, retiree health care and, and pensions, those were huge items that played a role in Chrysler and General Motors going bankrupt over a decade ago. I don't think they're, they're going to want to go back to that, and they're going to fight very hard against it. KB, you and I have talked about this all morning. How does the president, this White House, thread this needle? It's a very difficult line to walk, John, on two fronts. One is that President Biden has billed himself as a pro-union president and also as a climate president. As David is talking about the fact that this all does fundamentally come down as well to the EV transition. That is a transition the president is trying to accelerate through legislation like the Inflation Reduction Act. But he also is a president who has said repeatedly he wants to support unions. How does he do that when he also wants to avoid a potential strike of 150,000 workers? Very difficult uh, conversation. And he has been active. He has spoken, uh, said that he has been speaking with the UAW. He put out a statement earlier this month urging the two parties to come to a fair agreement, saying that the clean economy, clean energy economy should be a win-win for both parties here. The other added difficulty, John, is that if the administration needs to get involved in these conversations in a more material way, they will be doing so not with a confirmed Secretary of Labor, labor but still just an acting one, as Julie Sue is still only serving yep. in that capacity. Amazing. What a story. Katie, David, thanks for the update. Amazing. Amazing. So that was a couple of days ago on Bloomberg. They did a pretty good job of breaking down the the union's demands but let's hear from the union president uh sean fain uh this dude's a badass i'm i'm really digging him uh let's see what he had to say this was him speaking earlier today at a detroit labor day event all right all right all right it's good to see you union family You know, today we're here to celebrate the heritage and the work of all those that came before us. We're also here to celebrate the work that the entire working class delivers 365 days a year. Without the work that we do, nothing moves in this country. Goddamn right. In our theme song, Solidarity Forever, one of my favorite verses, not a wheel would turn. That's due to what we do. We have the power. And it's time we use that power to get economic and social justice. We're also here to celebrate some of our victories over the last year, like the repeal of right to work in the state of Michigan, thanks to our legislators. There's lots of battles and lots of work ahead. We are fed up living in a country where corporations violate labor rights with no consequence for their actions. Look at what's going on right now across this country. Thousands of Starbucks workers organized.
they, they voted to organize, and the company refuses to bargain. They bargain in bad faith. Damn right. We're facing the You guys are hearing the audio in stereo, and I'm fucking with it and turning it off, aren't I? And I'm just, I'm, I, there's no way to fix it. I'm hearing the raw audio, and I'm hearing it in mono, and I'm fucking with you guys hearing it. I'm <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. My apologies. Same thing right now in Big Three bargaining. One company wants to drag their feet, and the other two don't even want to discuss our economic demands that they've had for over a month. They haven't came back with a damn thing in five weeks. Workers everywhere in this country are facing down corporate criminals who refuse to follow the law. That's why it's so important that we all stand united. Usually, I love this guy. But as a movement, we've got to get back to our mantra, to our creed. An attack to one is attack to everybody. Every sector in the UAW right now is busting their ass, and I'll tell you, I'm very proud. We've had some big wins in higher ed recently. We've had some big wins with our independent parts and suppliers. Our Blue Cross Blue Shield Blue Care Network team is, is bargaining right now, and they just took an important strike vote in the high 90%. And I can assure you, when you look at the big three, we just voted to strike by 97% because our members are fed up. Locals all across our union are preparing for battle. After years of retreat, the UAW is moving forward now. And it's never more evident if you look at a recent Gallup poll released just last week. 75% of Americans said they support the UAW members and our agenda. 75 is more than 66 and two-thirds. You take your 30-30 and a third chance minus my 25% chance, and you got an eight and a third chance of winning. So that is a significant amount of the U.S. population. If it's more than 66 and two-thirds, you know you got a winner. It's because we're fed up, just like all the working class is fed up, with watching these companies taking billions in profits we've watched Spider big raking millions in salaries we've watched shareholders raking billions in dividends and we've watched workers wages benefits go backwards as we stand here today i'm here to tell you there's a new day in this union and it's time to end corporate greed Frederick Douglass once stated, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. Times are no different now. We've watched these corporations in the big three alone rake in a quarter trillion dollars in the last 10 years. And we've went backwards $10 an hour. 
If we don't get our share of social and economic justice, I can guarantee you one thing. Come September 14th, we're going to take action to get it by any means necessary. Holy shit. I really like this guy. You bet we are. As we've said from day one, before bargaining started and all during bargaining, September 14th is a deadline, not a reference point. We are 10 days away from that deadline. And I got a question for all of you. Are you ready to rumble? Clinically, it sounds like he wants to throw some people against the wall. I know you are, and I know every union's with us, just like we're with them. The UAW's back in the fight, and we are ready to stand united to win economic and social justice. So let's get to it. Thank you. So this is the recently elected president of the UAW, Sean Fain. Who is, sounds like he's ready to lead them to war. Ten days away. You know, we're going to be covering that. I really like him. And it seems like he's got the backing of a Bernie Sanders. This is a multi-pronged approach. Fucking love it. <laughs> We're going to go to New Jersey now where we have nurses striking for state uh, safe staffing and they're vowing to keep up the fight. This was published on September 1st. Friday marked one month since 1,700 nurses at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital walked off the job. Kelsey Kahn only lasted a year as a bedside nurse. She had so many patients to juggle that the stress drove her to transfer to the operating room where she could focus on one patient at a time. That's why the Piscatawa Resident has taken to the picket lines this past month outside Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where 1,700 nurses walked off of the job on August 4th in protest over high nurse-to-patient ratios and unmet wage demands. Many nurses are running from the bedside within our first year because we're so burned out. This is according to Khan, who has been a registered nurse for two years. I lasted one year, and I said I couldn't take it anymore, and I did not want to leave. I love bedside nursing. Today marks the start of the fifth week of their strike for a contract that includes mandatory minimum staffing ratios and better benefits and pay. With negotiations stalled, union leaders have called on Governor Phil Murphy to intervene, as he did to end the Rutgers University faculty strike last spring. Judy Danella, a staff nurse there for 28 years, is president of United Steelworkers Local 4 200, which represents the hospital's nurses. 
We're not 100 miles apart. We might be a yard apart instead of an entire football field. Somebody has to bridge the gap. Somebody has to bring the sides together. I think people look to Murphy as the governor because he did step into the Rutgers strike. This is according to Daniela. Negotiations started in April. The nurse's contract expired on June 30th and was extended to July 21st. The nurses went on strike on August 4th. Since the most recent bargaining session on August 16th, the two sides are now at an impasse. RWJ Barnabas Health is the largest healthcare system in the state and employs the most nurses statewide. The 620-bed Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick is the biggest hospital, and the ongoing strike is the nurses' first since 2006 when they were off the job for about 25 days, according to Daniela. That was published on Friday. They are still going here on this fine Labor Day. Go to Illinois, where nurses are also striking. Don't worry, we're going worldwide too. There are strikes going on all over the world that we're gonna cover. This one is with nurses in Illinois. Uh, this, this report was from about two weeks ago. Lines at 6.30 this morning for what they had set would be a two-day strike. And yet they will not be back at work until Saturday. That is because the hospital is locking them out for an additional two days. Whoa! They save money, we save lives! Ascension St. Joseph is Joliet's only hospital, and yet, according to union officials, they've lost over 300 nurses in the past five years, driven in part by higher wages elsewhere. A lot of our nurses went across town for a 2015 more minute drive for ten, at least $10 to $15 more an hour. Patient care, they say, is being compromised. We don't have enough nurses, we don't have enough aides to keep... Who wants to bet that it's some sort of fucking freaky healthcare system, some fucking private uh, entity that owns a bunch of, like a, a network of fucking hospitals and shit? Keep patients clean. It's as simple as that. Those who remain have been working without a contract since July the 19th as negotiations between the parties continue. This is our hospital, our home, our patients, our families. Despite the work stoppage, the hospital continues to operate. Ascension replacing their over 500 striking nurses with contract nurses, who they say must be paid for a minimum of four days. Hence, the two... <laughs> and I'm sure are making far more than what these nurses are asking for. That's the wild part. Because travel nurses are fucking expensive day lockout, a statement issued by the company saying in part, we have a comprehensive contingency plan in place to ensure there is no disruption in care or service for those we are privileged to serve. I received a text email from Staffing ProLink offering me over $7,000 to staff this hospital for four days while the nurses were on strike. We know that Ascension has the money. They're willing to pay it to other people. Joliet's mayor, Terry Darcy, showed up this afternoon to express his support. I talked to Ascension on the 15th. And Ascension I is the name of the company. Strike staring you down in seven days. Why aren't you at the table every day, every night working it out? 
For now, bargaining talks are not They want to stick it to the nurses. September the 8th. They seem like a very vindictive company. So that was probably a community hospital. They were all those nurses that we saw were probably born there when it was like a locally owned hospital, uh, St. Joseph, and they fucking they they loved the care and shit. And some some mega corporation has moved or a regional corporation that runs a like a a chain of of healthcare facilities. Usually they're not scabs, DJ. They're ju- they're just filling in, but like increasingly their their job is to be scabs, unfortunately. And I can I can see like, okay, so if you're a nurse and you've got the Hippocratic oath, and you're like your your duty is to patients and not to a company. So you're working for a company. You're not making that decision to you're you're not making the decision on where you go you're you're just you feel a need for this traveling nurse company that you work for it's a it's a tough situation so you know to call them scabs is a is a, yes they are but also they have they have an oath to patients They're extremely expensive, and but you have you have that like I liked to travel when I was younger. So like like if you were like me and you like to travel and go to to different time uh, different places and shit. Yeah, I mean like it, that's a tough one. You know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold it against a nurse, but also usually when a a when they strike at a hospital, usually the nurses do their best to not disrupt uh, patient care, and they'll do it in like strike, or they'll do it in uh, they'll do it in strikes. They'll do it in shifts and shit. So there's there's still staff and stuff there, uh, as 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 I understand it, as I've seen other stories play out. Let's go to the Pacific Northwest. The Pacific Northwest, where Portland teachers are threatening to strike, could be a no-school November. Oh, tra- apparently travel nurses can pick their contract. Okay, so that... So, uh, yeah, okay, they maybe they are more scabby than I, I wanted to. But still, like nursing, I, it, that's a tough one. In Portland... Signs a teacher strike could land in no school November. I'm still 100% behind the workers. Don't get me wrong. You can't put students first if you put teachers last. Fantastic sign. The nation's hot labor summer may be drawing to a close, but in the Portland area, school-related labor unrest is ramping up. Just across the Columbia River in Washington, the start of the school year is on pause in Commas and Vancouver's Evergreen School District, where, uh, did I say that right? Commas? Where two teachers' unions are on strike. Teachers in Battleground, Washington may soon join them. Now union leaders, school district officials, and rank-and-file educators... Camus. 
now union leaders and school district officials and rank and file educators alike say there is potential for teachers in Portland to follow suit as soon as November 1st, a month when there are already seven scheduled days off. On Thursday, district negotiators and representatives for the Portland Association of Teachers met for the first time with a state mediator. The two sides have been bargaining for nearly a year, but remain apart on key issues, including salary boosts, class size caps, logistics around job reassignments, and how much time should be set aside for lesson planning, grading, and professional development. Thursday's sessions yielded tentative agreements on contract provisions covering professional development, mentoring, and job evaluations, and a statement from the district that it will continue to strive for common ground that keeps our children at the center, keeps schools open, and respects our teachers. Educators around Portland said the union has told its members to prepare for a strike and that funds are being set aside to pay per diems to striking union members to compensate for loss of salary during any work stoppage. There has never been a teacher strike in the history of Portland Public Schools, the state's largest district, though one came close in 2014 when a last-minute agreement to hire 150 more educators averted a strike two days before one was set to begin. But West Coast cities are emerging as a center of educator labor unrest. And Portland could be next. Teachers in Seattle went on or were on strike for seven days at the beginning of the 2022-2023 school year. And educators in Oakland also spent a week on strike before reaching a deal last May. Closer to home, teachers in Woodburn narrowly averted a strike in May after the school district agreed to raise their pay by nearly 18% over three years. In Portland, teachers have asked for a 21.5% raise over three years. The district has countered with 9%. Oh, now, come on, 9%. Fuck off. Um, the current contract in Beaverton, the metro area's second largest school district, provides for a 11.5% uh, raise over three years and includes retention bonuses in North Clackamas. <laughs> Teachers are getting a 5% cost of living increase this school year and a 4% increase in 2024-2025. But the district has scaled back its contra-clackamus. <laughs> I've been North Clackamus. I'm so I'm so sorry. <laughs> but the district has scaled back its contributions to the public employee retirement plan. Clackamus. Blackmas. It didn't have an A in between it. I the Clackamas. There is no way I'm not saying it Clackamas. I I don't care how the locals say it. It's Clackamas to me. <laughs> Let's head up to North Clackamas. 
Oh. I'm saying it great. I'm, it's it's probably native, right? Clack clack the the clackabus is native. I should I shouldn't be I shouldn't be uh, cracking up. It's kind of it's kind of kind of fucking racist of me, and I like I fucking knew. <laughs> I knew it's probably a native fucking name, and like it's white boy fucking cracking up over clackabus. It's. I'm sorry. This is this is like the second racist in as many weeks I've done. I'm so sorry. You think your business is a is a fucking native name? I'm sorry. It's it's been such a good show. It's been such a I like I'm focused on like educational shit. We've learned a lot. We've we've done a lot of uh labor solidarity in this hour and then I'm just I'm letting it just all fucking fall apart. <laughs> all because I got choked up over Clackamas. Up your Glacamus. God damn. Yes, cancel Justin. Yes, cancel Justin. We're going across the pond. Cheerio. Teachers in Jersey announce a new strike after the government discussions break down. We teach, we care, be fair. Be fair to Flair. Jersey teachers will strike for three days in September and October as part of an ongoing dispute with the government over pay and conditions. Industrial action by teachers in the NASUWT union is planned for Tuesday, September 12th and Wednesday the 18th and Thursday the 19th of October. God damn you British people and your weird rotting. Head teachers from the school's uh, leaders union, NHT, will also be joining the strikes held on the 12th of September. These strikes were called off after positive talks in July, but the NASUWT says that the government has since cynically withdrawn promises made over backdated pay. Union's general secretary, Dr. Patrick Roach, said our members have been angered by the actions of the government and they are resolute in stepping up in their industrial action. Fucking A, uh, they might become uh, scallywags. Teachers in Australia are also planning to go on strike. More than 160 public schools, preschools in South Australia uh, set to be closed over strike uh, strike action. This was a story published a couple days ago. Fuck it up. Seriously, cancel Justin. Leaving the there we go. With a lesson for the state government.
Negotiations over pay and working conditions failing to hit the mark. Teachers taking their message to North Terrace, demanding Labor sharpens its pencils. We're overworked, we're underpaid, we need more support in the classroom. When we say education's in crisis, we're not exaggerating. There's just not enough support for teachers or the kids, especially yeah. the ones with special needs. The strike leaving 167 public schools and preschools shut across the state today. Catching this mum at Rinella off guard. I wondered why the back gate was locked and came around and they found that there's a strike on, so off home we go. Parents, though, <laughs> broadly understanding. Ultimately, I think it's about time teachers were paid what they deserve, so I'm supportive. I'm a previous teacher myself, so I appreciate all the work and effort that goes into teaching, and I think they deserve better conditions. Teachers say this is a fight for public education, and the union isn't ruling out further industrial action until it gets the offer it wants. Industrial action can take many forms. I think we'll consider all those forms and work out what's going to be the best approach in the circumstances. The government branding the union's multi-billion dollar wish list unrealistic. Oh, I bet they do. The union really to narrow that scope down to things that are can actually uh, realistically be delivered and sustained. Teachers willing to keep talking but not ruling out another strike. Ollie Haig, Nine News. You love to see it spreading. It's spreading to the down under, and also like it's it's weird seeing footage of them with their coats on because like. Oh yeah, it's winter. It's winter below the equator. That's wild. Australia, get on Australia. Australia also uh, begins mediation talks. Workers in Australia begin mediation talks with Chevron to avoid a strike. Chevron Australia and unions representing workers at two of the U.S. Energy Major's liquefied natural gas facilities in Australia began talks on Monday aimed at averting strikes scheduled for Thursday should the parties fail to reach a deal. A senior member of the Fair Work Commission, Australia's industrial empire, is hosting talks in the Western Australia state capital of Perth every day this week. As first reported on by Reuters on uh, Friday, Chevron Australia hoped to narrow points of difference through the mediated bargaining sessions. Employees last week almost unanimously rejected a pay and conditions deal, and it put them directly... Uh, Put to them directly by Chevron, bypassing the unions. Oh, Chevron tried to step around the fucking unions. Fuck you, Chevron. The Offshore Alliance, a coalition of two unions, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Industrial action will begin at 6 a.m. local time on Thursday. That's this coming Thursday. This This is a story published today. At Chevron's Gorgon and Wheatstone projects, which accounts for more than 5% of global LNG production capacity, the parties cannot find a resolution. Employees plan work stoppages of up to 11 hours in several time blocks and will stop performing certain tasks until at least September 14th. The union group has said the stoppages could cost Chevron billions of dollars. Fuck them. You love to see it. 
Steve, overall, this has been a pretty fun show, right? We we've been seeing the the workers kicking authority in the balls. That's what this show has been about. He's kicking authority in the balls. Pissing in the eye of the man. Uh, Dan Crenshaw will just stand in for the man here. Give us that eye pussy. And when I say globalists, I don't I don't mean the Jews. Because, like, we have a global economy. It's the capitalists. It's the capitalists. Pissing in the eye of the capitalists. That's what I want to do. Have you guys been missing uh, TV shows? There's still been shit that's come out and everything. Like Bob's Burgers getting ready to come back on. The Freak Show is getting ready to come back on. The Friday Night Freak Show back on October 13th. Special guest co-host, The Media Winch. When it comes to like next year, that's when you're really going to notice like there's not really movies in the theaters. It'll be available, simp. You can totally watch it later. The new and improved freak show. I don't know what's going to be improved about it. We'll work on it. Could be, could be a good thing for a streamer like me producing content during the writer's strike and the production guild strike. I, I, I will miss TV. I like, I like TV. I like movies and shit. We're really going to start to feel it when we get into like January and February. There's not going to be new movies or TV shows on. Everything will have already like came out. And if the if the strike is still going on till then, it's 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 gonna be noticeable. But so far, I think people haven't really haven't really felt it. But we're just now getting back to, like, back to school. We're just getting to where there's gonna be cooler weather moving in, possibly because global warming still has us like fucking. The deserts are flooding, and there's wildfires every. Who knows what the fuck's gonna happen, but. Ideally, it's going to be soup weather shortly, and people usually watch TV and shit, right? So, SAG-AFTRA giving us an update, uh, seeking approval for the second strike against video game companies. The one strike already underway, SAG-AFTRA announced on Friday that it will seek authorization for a second strike against the major video game companies. Fucking A. The union said that the talks on a new video game contract have reached a stalemate and that the strike authorization vote is needed as leverage to win wage increases and protection from artificial intelligence. Hell yeah. SAG after declared a strike on July 13th against the major TV and film companies, shutting down production around the globe. Talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers have not resumed. The union has a separate contract with the major video game makers, including Activision and Electronic Arts. The contract was originally due to expire last November 7th, 
which was extended for a year to allow for further discussion. The talks are due to resume on September 26th. SAG-AFTRA is asking for an 11% retroactive increase in rates for video game performers, followed by increases of 4% and 4%, identical to its ask from the film and TV studios. The union also wants protections from AI, which it says poses a threat to voice and performance capture artists in the video game field. In a statement, SAG-AFTRA's president, Fran Drescher, blasted the video game companies for their greed and disrespect. Hell yeah, nanny. Once again. Once again, the artificial... I'm doing a horrible job. It's kind of fucking offensive to uh, Italians from Brooklyn, isn't it? Once, once again, artificial intelligence is putting our members in jeopardy. Canceled Justin. Of reducing their opportunity to work, Tresher said. And once again, SAG-AFTRA is standing up to tyranny on behalf of its members. Thank you, nanny. The Riders Guild dropped a video today for Labor Day. This is the WGA president. Fellow members of the WGA East and West. This is Chris Kaiser, the negotiating committee co-chair. I wanted to take a few minutes on Labor Day 2023 to acknowledge the meaning of this moment. This is not, strictly speaking, an update on negotiations. I'm recording this message a few days before the holidays. Let me start by thanking the Guild staff, everyone who works at the Guild. They are Labor too, and they have dedicated their working lives to the cause of writers and writing. Over the course of this year, they have given everything they have for us, and everything we will one day gain we owe in large part to them. We need to acknowledge the members of SAG-AFTRA, who march on picket lines alongside us every day. Labor strength comes from numbers, and 171,000 irreplaceable workers is a pretty damn good number. We have each other's backs, SAG-AFTRA and the WGA. We say that out loud on this Labor Day. We are all in this together. Together, there is no way around us, and the only way through us is to treat us fairly. Still, we've seen in this strike that the system is inherently cruel. It requires not only that we bleed in order to succeed, but that others do too. If writers could have avoided that and still demanded and won what we need to survive, we would have done it. So to those members of other unions, crews and drivers, everyone who makes a living in and around this business who is not on strike, but for whom the strike is causing real pain, we owe you a great debt. We will not forget what you have done for us. The Teamsters and IATSE, laborers and electrical workers, musicians and other craft workers and everyone else. What we promise you is this, as you have stood with us, we will stand with you one day when it is your turn. That is how labor gets its due. For all its costs, it is the only way. In the meantime, the guilds and unions of this industry and its individual members have set aside or raised more money, tens of millions of dollars in four months to protect and support each other than we are asking many of these companies to pay us for an entire year. This strike has brought out so much goodness in people, so much bravery and resilience, selflessness and generosity. And nowhere is that more apparent than in the membership of the WGA itself. On behalf of the negotiating committee, board and council, it is our greatest honor to lead you through this struggle. To the lot coordinators and the incredible core of strike captains, 
And to every individual member of this guild, you are marvels. You are models of what dignity means. Everything that has made you writers, your sense of humor, your sense of responsibility to the world, your sensitivity to the plight of others, your conscience, your courage. Sounds like wokeness. Persevere through obstacle after obstacle. All these things you bring to this fight and they have served you well. We do not write because it's easy. We write because we have no other choice. The same with the fight to save writing itself. It's not easy, but we have no other choice. On Labor Day, Up it's yours, worth remembering that. Moralists. We'll we are not see on strike out of greed, nor do we begrudge the companies their success or deny their struggles. We all must succeed together. But the changes the companies have orchestrated in the business Fuck David Zaslav. are writing untenable for us and for everyone who comes after us. That fact hasn't changed because they hold on, hold on. I'm I hold on. Like I'm in the entertainment business. Maybe one day I might get offered a contract or something. David Zaslav, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean that. Like I'll sell out in a heartbeat. I'm really. I apologize, David Zaslav. Like I'll suck your dick, dude. Will you, will you let me have a TV show? Like I like I'll scab. I'll go to work right now. Let me go uh, fucking put me on any of your discovery fucking networks. I'll write your TV, whatever the fuck. I will, I will, I'll sell out my fucking, my beliefs in a heartbeat. Fuck this, fuck this wearing red and shit. I'm so, I'm sorry. Like, am I going to lose my audience now? Cancel Justin. Cancel, cancel Justin. Fuck you, David Zaslav. No, I, nah, fuck. They waited 102 days to talk to us and taken their- I'm neutral on David Zaslav, but I'm, I'm okay with labor. <laughs> time since then. Our feet and backs may ache, but our cause is the same. Our case is the same. We all know the list by heart by now. The erosion of pay. The abuse of screenwriters, the failure to protect Appendix A writers and the move to streaming, the dismantling of the writing process in episodic television, the threat of AI, the refusal to provide streaming residuals that grow with viewership. Each of these things is an existential issue for some or all of us, which is why we have said to the companies, writers have and will negotiate the solutions to these problems, but we're not going to pick and choose amongst them. We're not going to leave any sector of the guild behind. These things must be resolved, and not with contract language that has a one-to-one -one ratio of promises to loopholes. Truly resolved. Of course, that's not the AMPTP way, and it's a hard thing to give up on something that has served them so well for 40 years. They are in the process of wrestling amongst themselves, ramping up their public relations, and coming to terms with the fact that with writers on strike and actors on strike behind them, this negotiation is different. And they're going to have to do more, offer more than they usually do. Much of our frustration with how long this is taking stems from that, from their internal bargaining. But they will get there. None of which protects us from being scared sometimes and tired all the time. It doesn't mean we don't wish for this to be over. There's not one of us who wants to be on strike one day longer than is necessary. But in fact, they have made us stronger than we ever imagined we could be because there is no point in going back to jobs that may not be there in a year or two. 
No point in going back to jobs that don't sustain a career. No point in us permitting the AMPTP to enforce a system that bankrupts our health and pension plan to the devastation of every writer, regardless of their position in the industry. Everyone knows I was joking about the David Zaslav thing, right? Fuck David Zaslav. As for the companies, they are increasingly alone. Voices on Wall Street that were skeptical of their strategies are growing louder and more persistent. The trades that used to take their side are calling them out. The states of California and New York, whose welfare they have brushed aside, have raised the alarm, so have public pension plans. Their platforms are running low on fresh product, and soon they will be asking their customers to subsidize their intransigence, all of which is not a path forward. One more thing I want to say. This strike will end, and we will go back to work, and it will be better when it's over. But we will also remember it for what it was. In a world where we're mostly asked to take care of ourselves and maybe a small group of people around us, this is something else, something pretty rare. I feel it every time I turn a corner and see 500 people on a picket line, or see a lone neutral gate observer patiently doing their job, or watch a captain keeping people safe when a light changes. I feel an overwhelming sense of love and connection. Well, I love you too, man. Well, most of whom I've never met and may never meet again. We're here for ourselves, of course, but mostly we're here for each other. I'm doing this for you. You're doing this for me. That's the only way it makes sense. And that is ours to keep, even when this is over and we go back to our own individual lives. This fight we fought together. And that is where things stand on Labor Day 2023 which is a celebration of the dignity and value of those who work, an acknowledgement that this country was built by the people who take home a paycheck. For us, though, it's not a celebration, not yet. For us, it's just a day off, a time to rest, rest up to finish the job. We have no choice. We are either proof or disproof of the proposition for which we stand, which is that there are limits to how workers can be treated, that management by siege and by silence cannot just wait us out, and that labor, when it bands together in opposition, can have its day. For labor all across the country, this is the message. We and everyone who strikes with us are the beacon of hope. We carry the flag. On this Labor Day, the eyes of labor are on us. So tomorrow, we will pick up where we left off with a message of determination and resilience, but also of openness. We have never been the company's enemies. We are not their enemies now. We are their creative partners first and foremost. That is our goal, to win a fair deal and to be that again. We'll get there. In the meantime, get some rest. We still have some work to do. That was one of the co-negotiators. Same. Chris Kaiser, one of the negotiating committee's co-chairs of the Riders Guild. Uh, I, I'm pretty certain it's going to end before the beginning of the year. They are indeed going to run out of content shortly. There's no late night shows on, which I don't think that's that big of an issue right now. There's no, um, Saturday Night Live. I don't think that's that big of an issue. I miss it. I like Saturday Night Live. 
Matter of fact, I am downloading the entire collection of Saturday Night Live because I'm going to go back and watch it from the very fucking beginning. George Carlin's first fucking episode and just... Every Saturday, I'm going to watch an old Saturday Night Live. I'm probably, even if it comes back, I'm going to continue it. Like, I'll watch it like an old one. I don't even watch Saturday Night Live on Saturday. I usually watch it on Sunday. The next day. Do you want to hear what the worst person you know, the worst, the worst, the worst fucking possible person I could bring up to have an opinion on, uh, yeah, that's why, that's why I'm going about the means I'm going about it. Like if you, if you just go to Peacock and, uh, watch them, uh, you'll get like edited versions that are missing a lot of things. And sometimes even the musical guests, the versions I'm getting should all be in their entirety. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Also, Snicks, good evening. The worst person you know having a take on uh, the Riders Strike, the SAG After Strike, Bill Moore. Perfect example. Th- those guys would never go back. This strike could go on till uh, the 24th century, they would stay out. Um, there is, I feel for my writers, I love my writers, I'm one of my writers, yeah. uh, but there's a big other side to it, and a lot of people are being hurt besides them. A lot of people who don't make as much money as them in this um, bipartisan world we have where you're just in one camp or the other, there's no in-between. You're either for the strike, like like they're fucking Che Guevara out there. You know, like this is... Oh, Bill. Like, oh, there's a happy medium between us rich people and, and and the riders that actually do all the work. Cesar Chavez lettuce picking strike or you're with Trump. <laughs> you know, like there's no different. There's, there's only two camps and it's much more complicated than that. It is, but I, I do feel like... Jim Gaffigan probably going to put him in his place. A lot of the points, a lot of the grievances I, I kind of agree with. I do understand that they're getting stru- uh, screwed a bit by the streamers, yes. Yeah, I mean, but it's a change, and you either, you know, it's like anything that is, you know, I believe in free market, but I also believe in trust and then verify, right? What does that mean? Meaning, you you know. It's a fucking Reagan quote. What the fuck, Jim Gavigan? I, I actually, I was not the biggest Jim Gavigan fan. I saw him live a couple of years ago. He played at my campus. And, like, he was really good. He killed. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed that uh, that show. So, and he's he's been pretty based of late. But you don't trust, you know, like, the reason, I mean, Zaslov made $400 million. Fuck David Zaslov. I think the, they're, they're looking for $80 million for, you know, it's like, it's like they're gonna, gr- you know, you leave a kid in front of a bowl of marshmallows, they're gonna eat the marshmallows. <laughs> it's not like some grand thing. It's well, I don't know what you're saying. They're only asking for eighty million dollars. Well, I'm saying they're asking that, for a lot of things. They're asking are, for a lot of things. That are like kooky. Like what? What I find objectionable uh, about the philosophy of the strike. It seems to be they have really morphed a long way from two thousand seven strike 
where they kind of believe that you're owed a, a, a living as a writer, and you're not. This, this is show business, this is a make or miss league. And not everybody... You don't think that, like, they should... That streamers... I want to point out that Bill Maher came up during a time where they just threw money at every fucking, like, mediocre white dude that, that said they were a comedian and shit. The fact that you just had, like, fucking Everybody Love Raymond and, and King of Queens, like, all these, like, just fucking Tim Allen was a cokehead. It, like, it got a fucking TV show. Like, they just threw... Bill Maher is a walking example of Kathy Griffin, not talented in any way, shape, or form, has has millions of fucking dollars just because she came up during that time. And they gave millions of dollars to just anybody that had a name. And Bill Maher has the audacity... To be, be like, oh, these kids are asking for too much. Whoa. I hate Bill Moore. I hate him so much. Hopefully, hopefully this dose of late night talk show hosts will, will redeem the fact that we had to sit through Bill Moore. This is like some of the good ones. This is uh, Seth Meyers. Uh... John Oliver, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon teaming up for a podcast to raise money for their riders. The hosts of Late Night, their shows were among the first to be impacted when the writers went on strike in May. Now the top hosts are ready to return to action together. NBC's entertainment correspondent Chloe Malas is here with details. Chloe, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you guys again. With the dual Hollywood strikes dragging on, Late Night hosts are uniting for a limited series podcast providing fresh laughs and support for their out-of-work staffs as the industry remains largely shut. Who's your guys' favorite uh, Late Night host? Five of us together. For uh, maybe an hour. Who do you mean? The stars of late night TV coming together after almost four months off the air. Strike Force 5 is the name of our podcast. Subscribe to it now. Starting today, Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, and John Oliver are joining together for Strike Force 5, a podcast. I, I really like it because it's made the right wingers really pissed off. Like, they really hate this for some reason. <laughs> like fucking Daily Wire ran five or six articles about it the other day, so I was like, "That's cool." <laughs> I I like Stephen Colbert. I like John Oliver. Uh, Seth Meyer, like fucking, I don't watch Seth Meyers, but like he's really funny. Featured on Spotify, the five competing comedians appearing together via Zoom to make the announcement. One more time, Jimmy. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fallon. I'm oh, Stephen Colbert. I'm Jimmy Kimmel. I thought when you said Jimmy, you meant me, Jimmy, but you meant Jimmy, Jimmy. I always mean you. But when you I say always Seth, mean. each unscripted episode featuring. And I worked, I worked at an ABC station for a little while. So like Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel would be on. He wasn't bad. Like I got, I got a chuckle out of him a few times. Cause I would have him on as I would clean the studio. Cause I was a production tech at the time, so if I was if I was if I was working the floor, I had to you know f like fix everything up and get everything ready to you know go live the next day. One of the late night hosts at the helm, with the proceeds going to their respective out of work show teams. Who's got the power? We've got the power. 
In May, 11,500 riders went on strike. Two months later, SAG-AFTRA, with its over 160,000 actors, followed suit, protesting against Hollywood's biggest studios, their demands including higher wages and protection over the use of AI. It's estimated California's economy has lost over $3 billion in revenue since the strike began. Good. So really, the majority of our members are working people, just trying to put food on the table and pay their rent. And we couldn't make a deal on their behalf. Throughout the summer, the hosts showing their support. Americans have been forced to read books and occasionally even speak to one another. During the last writer's strike in 2007, late night TV returned after two months off the air. The hosts at the time growing beards in solidarity and finding unique ways to pass the time. That's a good spin, that's a good spin. This time around, the comics have committed to at least 12 episodes of the podcast with casual, unscripted conversations, providing financial relief to their staff and a few laughs. Spotify says the inspiration for this podcast came back in the spring when the hosts would meet weekly to talk about the strikes. Now fans are finally getting the chance to listen in on these once private chats. Um, I should also mention that we've reached out to the studios and the unions for comment, but we haven't heard back. You make a good point, though. This doesn't just affect actors and writers. No. There are lots of uh -huh. industries affected by this. Hair and makeup craft services, transportation, all of the production, the crews that make these shows what they are in these productions, and it is affecting everyone. And uh, the hardest part about this is that there really is no end in sight. We don't know when the next meeting is. Obviously, it's affected the fall TV lineup. Sure. But this will eventually, if it drags on and gets closer to the holidays yeah. and sure. things don't have a resolution, it will affect what we watch in Movie the spring. schedules as well. Yeah. Everything. And people aren't getting paid. Yep. Yeah, you know? most importantly. Thank you, Chloe. Most importantly. Well, a lot of people watching that very closely. Chloe, thank you yeah. so much. Hey, thanks for watching. Don't miss the You're welcome, Al. We don't get Al that often on this show. We don't watch a lot of clips from the Today Show. There was a strip club in Los Angeles Star Garden Topless Dive Bar in North Hollywood They went on they went on strike and apparently Tom Morello showed up to show solidarity Clock topless dancers in North Hollywood are back on the stage, this time as union members. They're back in action after their what a union. led to the bar's lengthy closure. And I would assume what Amy Powell spoke to them tonight about being the only strippers in the nation with union representation. Fuck yeah. Musician Tom Morello of the group Rage Against the Machine leading a celebration of unity. Star Garden Topless Dive Bar in North Hollywood reopened Love it. after a lengthy shutdown. The club strippers walked off the job nearly a year and a half ago. They're returning to work as members of Actors' Equity Association, becoming the nation's only strippers with union representation. I feel completely incredible. It's like so surreal to not only be a member of a union as a stripper, but also to be able to work in a club that is unionized. Workers from other labor unions joining the club strippers to show support. The dancers made the decision to leave the strip club after becoming frustrated with management. 
They say their concerns about issues including abusive treatment by patrons and safety were not being addressed. What has been so impressive is that the labor movement has embraced us um, from the get-go. That you are workers, you deserve rights. Goddamn right, we respect sex workers in this house. You are workers, you do deserve rights. Of course you were welcomed into the labor union. Of course. That has been incredibly instrumental to our our success. Star Garden agreed to recognize the union and meet at the bargaining table. For now, the strippers will work under an interim agreement. Two weeks ago, I was worried that we weren't going to get to a reopening, and we're here. We're not done bargaining. We still have to finish the contract, but it was important to get them back to work. We just hope that we can inspire other strippers to see what collective power looks like in the workplace. So negotiations are continuing, but the strippers are proud to return tonight to the nation's first unionized strip club. Hello, I'm Mark Brown. Get more great you, Mark. content by clicking the subscribe button for our... Don't be any more handsy than they want you to be. Sometimes they will put their... They will let you know. They will let you know if they want you... Especially ladies. Most, most strippers, they they like really like the ladies coming to the bar. <laughs> they, will, they will do about anything with you. The picture of Tom outside of the outside of the strip club. Fucking a, I love it. This has been a fantastic show, but you know, you know, you know what I've got for you here at the end. You know I've got a a animal video, something related to working, right? I like I I'm proud of this Labor Day special show. I really am. It's it's been a good one. And we ended with we ended with unionized titties. It doesn't get any better. Unionized titties and working class pussy. She is the boss of this warehouse. She stalks the aisles, patrols it, keeps everybody in line. She's fantastic. We're a seed company. The name of our company is True Leaf Market, and we have a whole lot of seed inventory here which is uh, subject to pests. So we, you know, we have a rigorous uh, pest program, but uh, we thought we add a cat to the mix. That'll be, uh, that'll be our ultimate safety net. She definitely does what she was brought here to do, but she also brings a lot of happiness to the workplace. She's so playful. You can totally- The bees are already in a union, aren't they? They're like pretty much like, that's like the union of the, of the uh, animal world. Wash your ass indeed. Life is too short to walk this earth for a crusty asshole. Wash your ass. Really see her personality when she walks by. Best Friends was unbelievably fantastic. They brought her over. They helped. This is this is Best Friends Animal Society on YouTube. Just through the process of getting her acclimatized to the warehouse, I was really amazed at, at how well... I think cats with jobs is what I typed in. A really big difference. And in terms of, uh, you know, how we value her in the company, well, let's just put it this way. She's one employee of the month four times, which is an all-time company record. Just four times? Look at that face. I... I what in the fuck? I like to joke that the cats here are heads of marketing and human resources. 
They greet people. Head of me marketing. They'll just run into the dressing room and hang out with people. Iconoclad is a consignment store. Oh, almost had a Maynard. We sell new stuff and locally made stuff. We've had cats here for six years. This is Garf. He is the biggest lump of love. I don't even know what you'd have to do to him to make him upset. He's the embodiment of love. His brother, Simon, over there, he's kind of mischievous. And then there is Bugsy. He's the old man and the peacekeeper. When some of the cats act up, he jumps in there. And he's part Maine Coon, so he has that little whiny thing. <laughs> then there was Lola. When we rescued her, she had some pretty big mouth issues. She had all of her teeth out, and she's a little aloof, but she's our little little gummy bear. Aww. And then there's uh, Lennox, she's a calico, and uh, she's kind of the prissy princess of the crew. People stop by just to see the cats. We always have people at the window looking at them and playing with them. People love the cats, and it's a huge part of our personality. I love the cats. The first two cats that we ever had were hugs and kisses. Aww. I missed my cats while they were just in my apartment. And so I just brought them here, and I just went home to sleep, or actually I was- Almost got them again! And it just felt natural. They'd sit here on the counter and play with customers, and they were just our little he celebrities. Left. When our original shop cats passed away, there was a period of time that we didn't have cats in here, and it just felt a bit empty and lifeless in here. Really did not mean to get up to five, but here we are, and it's all great. Uh, we rescued three of them from cause. After my original two kitties passed away, I started fostering kitties at home. So I ended up getting three from cause. And then my mom found these two ginger cats in the desert. I think it brings a lot of energy and personality. And it's just funny to be shopping and then all of a sudden a cat streaks by your foot, uh, playing with you know a little size thing that goes on a hanger. Or you look over and see a little kid holding garbage. Go ahead. Smiles. Light one up, tip yeah. one back. It's all right to have a little fun before you hit the sack. Six and a half years of... Happy Labor Day, everybody. I don't think that we've had any complaints about them at all. Just a ton of love.